Bandwidth for Change Log is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Solomon Hikes, and it's go time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. All right, everybody, welcome back for another episode of Go Time. Today's episode is number 47, and our sponsor for today is TopTal. Today on the show, we have myself, Eric St. Martin. We also have Carlicia Pinto. Say hello, Carlicia. Hi, everyone. And standing in for Brian today, we have Mr. Adam Stachowiak. What up? It's always so great to actually get you to come out from behind the curtains. So anybody who hasn't heard the other episode Adam did, Adam is one of our producers, and he always hides behind the curtains. That's right. So we finally got him out. Like a like a magician just waiting, you know. And I, I, and I, every once in a while, and, and Solomon, I had to come out for Solomon. That's why. Yeah. Speaking of which, so we are honored today uh, to have our special guest Solomon Hikes, CTO and founder of Docker. Hello. Thanks for having me. And Solomon, thank you so much for making the scheduling. I know things kind of didn't smooth out there, but man, I mean, we've been waiting for this show to kind of take place. Docker is such a huge thing, and. Obviously, everyone has wrapped their brains and minds around it and have just ran with it. We had you on the change law way back on episode 89. I feel like that was, in your own words, 20 years ago, and it kind of feels like it. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like it was forever ago, and, and I have a really fun memory of it. It was a lot of fun having that conversation. For the live listeners, I dropped a link to that show in the chat there, so earmark that. It'll be in the show notes, too, but earmark it. Go check it out. Listen to my, as they said before, my young voice <laughs> back in the day, Adam, I guess. This is like- <laughs> he, he linked that episode today in um, our admin channel, and I started listening to it. It's like, whoa, you sound young. <laughs> I think it was just less EQ'd, maybe. I, I don't know. It just, I'm not really sure what it is, honestly. So- <laughs> but anyways, Docker, Docker, man, Dot Cloud. It came from Dot Cloud, right? This is, yep. what was Dot Cloud back then? Like maybe. I don't know if people need to know a, a full introduction of you, but maybe know that who you are today. You're a CTO. You're the founder of Docker. Uh, take us back to the dot cloud days. Like, give us some nostalgia. What is something only <laughs> you know that you could share on a show like this? Sure. Um, I don't know if I'm the only one who knows it, but um, back when we uh, did the that change log number eighty nine, I was the founder and CEO of a company called Dot Cloud, which later became Docker. And we had just launched, I think, the Docker project, but we had, we had not yet pivoted to being only the company that supports Docker, um, although that was, I think, quickly coming. But um, before Docker, there was a whole six years, I think, of dot .cloud. So all in all, I've been working on this company for a little over nine years now. And dot .cloud was a platform as a service offering. So if you're familiar with Heroku, Google App Engine, things like that. Uh, it, it was a hosted service that um, developers could use to deploy and scale their applications. So basically, you write the code, you send the code to us, and we take care of everything else. We just scale it, run it, etc. And we did that using containers under the hood. And we used that technology to make things more efficient. And a lot of people asked, 
us, hey, that's really cool. How do you do it? Uh, I don't want to pay for your service, but I want to do it for myself. And, you know, there was just People so wanted much- stuff for free? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible, I know. Uh, and, you know, uh, eventually we, we just, we refined the use of that tech. And we, to be clear, we didn't invent the tech, right? We, we built on top of low-level building blocks of the system. And that was just as a, at a period where Linux was getting better at supporting uh, containers, but it was still a very niche thing to do. When we started out in 2008, you had to patch uh, the kernel very heavily. So it was for very niche uh, use only. And then around 2012, 2013, it became kind of viable to, to do containers yourself on top of an unmodified Linux kernel. And that opened a lot of possibilities. So anyway, uh, we heard the demand enough that we ended up just open sourcing the underlying tech and that became Docker. And of course, for reasons that, that are still a combination of mystery and luck and hard work, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, it took off and we ended up doing only that. So we sold the platform as a service business and now we only do Docker. So I think though that, you know, you talk about kind of like the surprise that it's like that and credit where credit is due, right? So yes, containers existed in the Linux kernel, but I think Docker made it significantly more approachable, right? Like most people who built software for Linux didn't really know about or understand C groups and namespaces. So I think Docker really made that approachable for people and the fact that there was kind of the portable image format. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is containers as in Linux containers existed, they were known, although they were, uh, they were known only to a small uh, specialized group of people, you know, systems engineers, operators to build platforms on top of that. But you're right, it was a very obscure thing. And honestly, it was not that mature. It's, it's, uh, Linux containers are, have not been stable and high quality for that long. But really what we did is we kind of played on the, uh, the double meaning of the word container, right? Because it's a, a Linux container is a really specific technical construct, right? It's a sandbox your application when it's running. But we extended the use of that term to the, to the shipping container, which is really something else, right? It's about moving things around and making them reusable uh, and standardizing the format in which you move things around. And um, to this day, I think different people understand the word container differently. And it turns out the first definition of the word container is a really specialized niche definition of the word, but shipping containers is something that everyone understands. It's a mainstream term. And really, that's, that's what Docker is focused on. So Linux containers are really, for Docker, a feature that we use to deliver something broader, which is shipping containers for your code. So here's actually an interesting question. I'd love your, your feedback on this. The thing that I find with kind of the VMs versus containers is that because Docker abstracted away the concept so well that there's a lot of confusion that they're very similar so you get a lot of people who like put you know tcp dump and and random things and just like load up their container because they don't really understand that it's actually much closer to just a highly configured process than it is an actual virtual machine Do, do you find that people have that same struggle yeah, it's definitely, I think it's a general theme for us that um, different people understand or experience Docker differently or containers differently. They have different opinions. I mean, the Docker, the Docker community at large has always been a diverse one. In other words, different people expecting different things from containers and Docker and, and sometimes disagreeing strongly on what the right answer is. And the challenge for us has been to manage that. But honestly, 
it's been by design from the beginning that we said, you know what, not everyone has to agree on everything to benefit from the same tools. And maybe it'll make things more interesting for people to have to work out their different definitions of words. And that, that kind of constructive disagreement will help us move forward. And I think that's mostly worked out. So for example, there's a lot of developers and a lot of operators in the Docker community. And as we all know, developers and operators have very different priorities and opinions on things. And um, you know that's actually helped. So on the one hand, you have experts, you know, Linux experts, systems engineers that uh, approach containers in one way. And on the other end, you, we have a lot of people now who are front-end devs that are just getting into back-ends and Docker is just a really easy way for them to do back-end things. Uh, and now we have people actually getting into programming and they're absolute beginners and, and Docker is giving them a kind of a, a safe, exciting place to get started where they don't feel too judged and they're surrounded by people who are just excited about uh, helping them. So these are two pretty wide extremes, but somehow the challenge is how do we get everyone to participate in the same community and talk about containers together? And it's not always easy. That's actually a really interesting point I had never thought of. Solomon, I, I wanted to ask you to take us back to the point where you were transitioning from your platform as a service to an open source project. Because what I'm thinking is, and there is no doubt that you are a success story now, which makes it more fascinating. So what I'm thinking is you have this paid-per-use service, and people are demanding your service, but they are saying, oh, we don't want to pay for it. And I'm asking this question from a business perspective, especially for people who think about into going into business uh, or are in business. I will have this question myself, and I think people will be curious too. So let's get to it. So you are at this point that people are demanding your service, but they don't want to pay for it. So how was the rationale that instead of saying, well, let's change our pricing model or let's make a better offering so people feel that they're getting more value and then will therefore want to pay for it, which to me seems a super counterintuitive move to say, nah, let's just extract this and offer it as a, an open source project. How yeah. did that loop of faith happen? Did you have a, a game plan? How, how did it happen? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. It's not, it's not so much that people didn't want to pay for our service and therefore we just abandoned the service. We, the um, .cloud was actually a pretty successful product, right? We had customers, we were growing nicely, and uh, there was definitely a set of customers that were getting value from it. And, um, you know, there was no immediate catastrophe, right? We had plenty of money in the bank. I think we had, we had two years of runway left when, when we pivoted, right? So it was not a, a money problem. And it was not an um, issue of, hey, no one wants this. They don't want to pay for it. But uh, we had two problems. One was that the, the pool of potential customers, so the, 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 the market for our product was just too small. And we're seeing that uh, none of the other companies addressing the same market were that successful, right? Every platform as a service startup has failed, basically. Uh, and some of them have failed by consolidating with larger companies. And, you know, that's worked out great for them. But it, clearly, there's no giant platform as a service company that's just crushing it. And you can point at that and say, I want to compete with, with, with those guys, right? Um, so there was a general sense that we were in a market that had no future. And separately, 
seeing this much, much larger pool of, of people that were, that were coming to us and saying, uh, there's something I want from you. Please, can you give it to me? And it, they didn't want the service we had for free. They wanted something else. They wanted the building blocks to build their own service. Mm. Uh, and the key there is customization, right? The problem if you're, when you're doing everything for your customer, you kind of, it's, it's a cookie cutter solution, right? You have this monolithic platform that does everything for you. And it's take it or leave it, right? It's super convenient. But if you want to customize things, then you, got, you can't, right? You, you have to leave uh, or wait for a dot .cloud to add that customization. But with containers, you have like a Lego set. Right, you can you can mix and match. You can change a lot of things. Uh, you just need the building blocks to be available. So one comparison I make uh, often is you know a regular toy and and Lego. Right. Uh, so we had a specific toy that some people liked, but a lot more said, "Hey, could I change this or that? Could you let me build my own toy? Give just give me the Lego." So we started experimenting with that, and on the side, we we did the side project, which became Docker, to say, "Okay, let's see what it would look like." If we gave people the Lego and instantly people just loved it from the very first private demo that we gave, you know, about four months before we launched already, people were excited. There was just this incredible interest. So we just followed the interest. And in the end, there was more interest for the new thing than uh, for the old thing. Uh, and, and we just made a call. So where the leap of faith to, to your question, you asked about the leap of faith, the, the leap of faith came when we had two things, which were both viable. And that's why the decision was hard. It would have been an easier decision, actually, if dot .cloud was very clearly a failure. Yeah. Because then there would be no choice. But because it was not at all obviously failing, you know, uh, um, we, 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 had to, we had to decide. And after, actually, for a while, I said, let's do both. Um, you know, dot .cloud is our phase one, and this exciting new thing will be our phase two. And I had this whole, you know, diagram where, you know, the first growth curve would be eventually uh, replaced by the second growth curve. You know, the theory was great, but in practice, it became really clear very quickly that we had to focus. And, um, you know, it was a tough decision, but we picked the, the new thing. So I'd have thought you would have said that uh, the Docker was a clearly bigger play. That's what I thought you would have said. Well, that, that is the conclusion that, that uh, we reached. And okay. And, you know, that's why we made the leap of faith. But at the time, it was not obvious at all because it was hard it was to see that. So early, right? I mean, we pivoted, we pivoted two weeks after, uh, uh, you know, that lightning talk at PyCon where, you know. 2013. Uh, yeah, 2013. Docker was introduced. So this is the very first talk you've given at all about, like, the future of Linux containers, which is what it's called. And yes. that was Docker. Yeah. And that became and that blew our, up. Our, our accidental launch because we were not plan we were not planning on that being our launch. Yeah, uh, there's a funny story there also. But the point is, um, I think within weeks or maybe yeah, a few weeks after that, we launched and then we pivoted. So it was all within a. It was very quick because like yeah. when you were on the change though, you were still talking about dot cloud and yeah, and like that talk actually. We'll link it up in the show notes for those listening. But uh, I'll drop one link right here in the in the Slack channel. But that's actually oops, wrong Slack channel. That's actually the the talk that that at the time Andrew Thorpe and I, who was the co-host on the Change Law with me then, saw and we were like, this is super cool. Like this is like gaining some ground. And and like to this day, it's got almost seventy thousand views. And I guess in in developer land, that's a lot of views. Maybe in YouTube land at large, <laughs> a million, maybe a million and a half is is big. But like this is big in developer land. 
Yeah, I got a yeah. lot of work to do if I want to be a YouTube star. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we're working on it. I remember first seeing Docker when uh, it was still Dot Cloud, and Brian and I were playing with it, and like it was one of those things that like, you knew this was going to be big. Like it kind of changed everything. And I think I've heard it might have been that uh, changelog episode where I think Solomon was mentioning kind of like VMs and what people wanted out of them, and it didn't mm-hmm. really happen. And you know, there were some tools that made them useful for development and things like Vagrant and things like that, but it really it wasn't the level that Docker was for kind of the reproducibility and and speed to get up and going. So where does Go fit into this? I mean, this is Go time after all, right? Where does Go fit into Docker? Yeah. Can I ask a question that would precede the Docker story? Is um, did you use Go at that cloud? Excellent question. So um, the answer is no. We did not use Go. We did our Python shop which is why we were presented at PyCon. Uh, that makes um, sense. So .cloud was written in Python, and although it ran applications of all types, written in all sorts of languages, which, by the way, was our differentiator, because we used containers, we had a, a common packaging system and deployment system for applications in all languages, which now seems like a given, but at the time, that was a big deal. No one else did it. And when we started this prototype, that would become Docker, this side project. The very first version was in Python. And then at some point, you know, we went through a few iterations. The, the prototype wasn't quite right. And then I was being a pain in the ass to everybody because I had really sp- strong opinions on how that thing should be designed. And so the key engineer on the early project left, basically, in frustration. And so uh, we had to kind of start over. And that's when we made a big decision to switch to Go. And uh, that was more instinctive than anything. And it was, very, it was not a very popular decision at DuckLot at the time, let's just say that. But basically, uh, there was a few things. First, I just had a gut feeling that Go was awesome and I wanted to play with it, just being uh, honest. And there was a deliberate choice also. First, we wanted to optimize for uh, contributions. We wanted this to be a very successful open source project. So we wanted a lot of people to contribute. And so we wanted something that was easy to pick up and familiar for as many people as possible. And we didn't want anything too extreme or opinionated. You know, I, 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 I'm not a big believer in... Technology, religion wars, it just it bores me. So anything that triggers flame wars, I just stay away from. And what I like about Go is, you know, if you're a C programmer, you think, okay, you know, I, I can see it. If you're a Python programmer, same thing, right? It's, it's kind of, it's familiar enough for enough people that we could expect to grow a mainstream uh, group of con- contributors fairly quickly. So that was a big motivator. And the other one is um, in, in ops and DevOps tooling, the biggest problem for a long time has been tribal divisions, right? You have the Python DevOps tools and you have the Ruby DevOps tools and you have the Java DevOps tools. And those at the time, at least, those were the three big tribes. And really, any, if you, whatever language you picked for your tool of choice, uh, only your tribe would use it. And then the other tribes would just replicate it and you would have completely redundant tools for everything, right? So you had Fabric and, uh, you know what? I don't even remember the names of these things anymore. Uh, Capistrano. Yeah, uh, I remember Capistrano. Uh, you know, and and Java had their own. Th- you know, like it was all duplicated. And uh, we we wanted to make a tool that everyone could use. And so we wanted we wanted a language that would pile to a binary, so that uh, you know, just like the old days of the good old uh, Unix demons, it's SSHD. Uh, who cares what language it's written in? It's a binary. You just drop it, and it just works, right? So it was to ease adoption, to not require an external uh, runtime. So all these things roll into one, and we just went for Go all in. And uh, Docker was my first Go project. <laughs> mm. and, uh, wow. um, 
And, you know, obviously it was a good bet. So we surfed the Go adoption wave for sure. And we contributed back, you know. And yeah, that's the that's why we picked Go. On that note, uh, Eric, you mentioned you were at a meetup recently and you kind of had a conversation around this. The conversation, I think, that's tribalism that, that Solomon's pointing to, which is Ruby is probably pretty popular. And Matt even says so because of Ruby on Rails. And do we feel that Go is popular because of things like Docker and other things that are written that are super popular, like Kubernetes? And I guess that's sort of like an evolution of Docker, but you get one point. What, what was said there at the meeting? So we were basically talking about like the adoption curve of Go. And Solomon, you just kind of mentioned like, you know, you, you picked Go because you wanted a lot of contributors. But back then, I mean, we're talking about 1.0 had only been released, but like maybe within a year of the development. And I really think that 2014 to 2015 is where we started watching the hockey stick growth of the language. And, I, you know, I'd argue yeah. that probably Docker is a big part of that. Like, doc, here's this thing that's going to kind of revolutionize kind of like development and operations for people like the you know this is really going to change things and people were interested in the implementation they wanted to to build it they wanted to contribute to it and things which i think got more people looking at the language so i really feel like that year was like a perfect storm of things you know conferences started popping up and you had docker and definitely when we decided to use go it was uh in the very end of 2012 that's early. So month after one O. And definitely at the time, it was not an obvious like, hey, this there's you know everyone you know it wasn't it wasn't hype. We weren't seeing oh we got to get on that we got to jump on that. It was more hey I'm excited about that I you know the hacker in me just wants you know sometimes there's just a tool or a language you want to use it and then after the fact you're going to make up rational reasons to justify it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yes. how I felt about Go and the entrepreneur in me thought. Well, if I feel that way, then um, my my audience, which is other hackers like me that I want to um, convince to use my tool, probably also feel that way. So, uh, you know, let's just follow that gut feeling and surf that way, you know, and it, it turned out to be correct. So, so we're, we're about six minutes off from our first break, or I guess our only break during this show. But take us back to some of the arguments internally that happened around like your choice. So it was to be clear, it was your choice, right, to choose Go versus Python for the future of Docker. Yes. What was some of the early pushback? What were some of the, uh, I guess, sales things you had to do to sell the team on on this choice, especially since you're pivoting and so much you're betting so much like there's a lot of pressure to get it right. So how did you how did you make this happen? Well, so first, at the end of 2000, not pivoting yet. Right. This was to be clear, uh, we were a company of about 20 people. And 19 or 18 people uh, were working on dot clouds. And then you had me and one engineer doing this side project. So internally for a while, it was like Solomon's pet project, you know, his, you know, he wants to keep coding. Let's just let him, let him do it. Let him do his thing basically. So when I said, Hey, let's, let's do it and go. The, the biggest really was that it was new and it seems unnecessary to change just for the sake of taking, picking something new. So there was a little bit of a get off my lawn hipster kind of a reaction. And to, to explain this, I would like to clarify that this comes to a surprise to many people because Docker now has this kind of rep- weird reputation of being the hipster uh, noob developer thing, which I find hilarious because Dot Cloud was a company of ops. I mean, we were the largest deployment of Linux containers, um, I think, in the world exposed to the public, right? So you had Google with their thing. But if you wanted to deploy containers, we ran the largest production cluster of Linux containers in production, wow. period. So we were a company of ops. 
And we ran databases in containers. We ran all sorts of language stacks and containers. Docker came out of raw operational experience. Uh, and then, of course, it got picked up by a really excited developer community, which and we, we've had to manage the, the, this kind of um, diversity of opinions and needs that we talked about earlier in the community. But the point is, in 2012, we definitely were a company of cranky ops that uh, looked at anything new with suspicion <laughs> because new things break and new things uh, sometimes are driven by fads. So that was the biggest pushback, you know play with another toy but then really it was hey i guess this is solomon's toy project so let him have it <laughs> wow so you pretty much sold it based on like you being in lack of better terms the boss and hacking on things and let him do his own thing it, it, well it, what happened is I, I i didn't have to sell it because um the engineer that got loaned loaned to me for the side project quit and um, there's no pushback it was, it was only me. So <laughs> only me. then I, I got another engineer, Andrea, who still today is a star engineer at, at Docker. And he wrote the hard systems interface. So he wrote the interface to LXC. Okay. And I wrote the kind of the, the, the UI, the front end, basically. Any particular features early on in Go that, that, that drew you to it? That's kind of what I was trying to drive to. It was like, what yeah. specifically about Go made you really clean? I mean, yeah. I know you said binary, you know, compiling to a binary and it didn't, you can kind yeah. of reduce the tribalism kind of stuff, but what else? Yeah. So th those were the, those were the external reasons, like specifically why I go for this project for Docker. Right. But as a hacker, my, what drew me instinctively to, to go was really, um, you know, I'm, a by training, I'm a, I'm a C systems engineer that got into Python because at some point just a waste of time to do everything in C. And from there, we got into this really cool framework in Python, which I can't even remember what it was called. It was called G-Event, I think. So uh, lightweight threads, green threads. So you had kind of, with Python plus uh, G-Event or greenlets or something, I forget the name, you had basically the same paradigm as Go and Go routines. You had these lightweight um, threads that you could write. So you could write in a you know, procedural style, and you, had, you got a lot of the benefits of uh, uh, something using callbacks, but without the callback hell and spaghetti, which at the time in Python was um, something like twisted. Gotcha. So at Dot Cloud, we did everything with Python plus G events, and then sometimes we we regretted not having an easier way to uh, leverage C, right? And so in comes Go, which is basically from the perspective of a C hacker that uses Python, the perfect hybrid of the two. It's got all the benefits of C. It's compiled. It's lightweight. You have more fine-grained control over memory, et cetera. And you've got uh, a convenient high-level syntax like Go and a great, also a great standard library, right? The Python developers have learned to rely on a high-quality standard library. And uh, Go, I think, uh, delivered the same thing, uh, unlike Ruby, right? Which, in my experience, has been just uh, like a, a giant mess of experimental stuff that you never know when they're going to break. I think Go brought the kind of reassuring focus on a quality, reliable standard library early on. So, you know, it just hit all the sweet spots. So I know that we are a few minutes over break. Adam was tracking as he always does. So let's go ahead and take our sponsor break for this episode. Our sponsor for today is TopTal. Hey everyone, Adam Stukoviak here, Editor-in-Chief of Changelog. Our friends at TopTal have been sponsoring our podcast for years, and now they're sponsoring GoTime as well. We think they're one of the best ways 
to hire developers and designers, as well as one of the best ways to freelance as a software developer or designer. Head to toptile.com go to learn more. Tell them you heard about them on GoTime. If you'd like a more personal introduction, email me, adam at changelog.com. And now back to the show. All right, we are back talking to Solomon Hikes. Now, um, Carlicia, I know that you had a follow-up question to Adam's just before the break. Do you, do you want to go ahead yeah, with that? Yeah, so Adam asked a good question. And so I don't think I missed, I, I don't think uh, we got to the answer. Adam asked, what impact did Docker have on Go's popularity? Was that question answered? I don't know if he, I think he was kind of, talking towards the tribalism and some of the features of go although i would love to hear that like you know so we hear from someone like matt's the creator of ruby and the impact that ruby on rails had to ruby you know and so you solomon as someone early on in 2012 choosing go for for docker how do you feel docker had an impact on go the language uh you know i i sometimes ask myself that and i don't really know to be honest um my my feeling is I think early on, Docker uh, using Go was a validation for Go at, in the phase where it was clearly picking up, but uh, it was still useful to be able to point to large-scale projects using it. And I think at some point, briefly, we were the largest Go project, although I, I don't know if that's true today, I don't, I, honestly. But the point is now Go doesn't need that anymore. So I think now we're one citizen of Go City, among many others. And so we're contributing in that way. But yeah, we're no longer at the phase where Go needs to point to any particular project to justify using it, right? It's just, it's, I think it's a mainstream language now, which I think is great. That's really interesting because kind of the same time frame, um, Brian and I, when we were planning the first um, GopherCon, didn't want to plan it in, in San Francisco for similar reason where we wanted to try to prove that this was uh, an outside of Google thing, that it wasn't just Google using this language. Yeah. So that whole year was it mostly defending like, no, it's not just Google that writes stuff in Go. Yeah. And I remember actually um, going through the process, you know, we did a little bit of due diligence. Uh, well, you know, like I said, I decided in my heart and soul. And then after the fact, I pretended to go through proper intellectual due diligence, right? And uh, I, I remember we looked at we looked for proof points, and definitely there were no other projects that were really high profile that were outside of Google that that used Go that I could find, uh, you know, that were uh, mature or large enough. But I remember the one, one point that did sway me is that within Google, it, it wasn't clear at the time how much Google actually used Go in production, right? Uh, and at some point, I remember there was a blog post on the Google blog uh, about, uh, and I forget the name of their service, but they had a service. Uh, they had a service that was basically the their custom uh, MySQL uh, front end. The test. For, or, yes, exactly. Yeah. The test. And and it was not. I think they open sourced it since, but at the time it was not open sourced that I know. Uh, but they talked about. It. And they said it was written in Go, and they said that every single, uh, the, the whole critical path of MySQL queries for the front end of YouTube.com went through that. And, you know, I did a quick uh, back of the envelope math and thought, okay, <laughs> I think I can use this language. Nice. So that was, my, that was my validation point at the time. Yeah, I remember trying to get the test running. It was, it was ridiculously cool. So 
uh, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about nostalgia and, and I'd like to like start moving towards kind of like the growth and, and Docker in its current state. But one question I have is like adopting so early um, and even leading up to now, like there wasn't a lot of like you talked about the standard library and stuff. There wasn't a lot of libraries in existence back then, which is part of the overhead of like adopting a new language is you kind of have to write everything on your own. Um, what kind of like stumbling blocks have you had kind of in the decision? We didn't have a lot of we, nothing major. You know, we had a lot of tactical stumbling blocks. Um, especially in the second year when we started really uh, getting moving down closer to the system. You know, the thing about Docker is in the early days, it was a wrapper around this pre-existing command line tool called LXC. And uh, actually, one of the motivations for Docker was uh, the LXC uh, command line tools just really were not reliable at all. And operationally, we had all sorts of horrible like inconsistencies. Like the same command would either fail and return or hang forever. And there was no way to predict one or the other. So um, you know, we needed polyfill on top to have a stable, reliable layer. And which, by the way, hilariously, now we keep hearing, you know, cranky people, let's call them, saying, oh, Docker, hipster tool, LXC, that's the real man's, bearded man's tool. And, you know, <laughs> having run uh, um, a few million containers in production using LXC, uh, unlike those cranky people, uh, let me tell you, it was not fun at all. So uh, the point is, because we did the wrapping, we did not need a lot of sophisticated interfacing to the system early on. We just shelled out, literally we shelled out to the LXE tools and then we tried, you know, we parsed the output and did stuff like that. So we didn't really push the limits of the standard library. I mean, we hit bugs and instabilities and performance issues, but nothing, nothing memorable really. Then in the second year when we replaced LXE and we implemented this, this uh, library called libcontainer that actually hits uh, Linux kernel capabilities directly, you know, I, we, we hit things there, but honestly, not, there's no particular instance that I can really remember. Just, uh, honestly, given the age, uh, well, given the level of adoption and maturity of Go, I've always been impressed by the, the quality and breadth of the standard library uh, relative to the stage of, of the language, if that makes sense. It's just, it's, it's a really well-run project. It's really high quality. We've always adopted the latest version of Go for the latest version of Docker. We've never lagged behind thinking, oh, let's wait. Let's, let's wait till someone else goes through the pain and then we'll upgrade. We've just, uh, the Go project has trained us to just trust their latest stable releases. Which, by the way, I think it took us a, a while to get to the same point. I, I, I wish I could say the same for Docker since the beginning. So how about today? Is there a point where you say, well, it makes sense to use uh, an existing library that's external to the standard library or is do you does docker have a philosophy or moby have has a philosophy of saying we don't use external libraries we use the standard library and we write everything ourselves do you have that rule or if you if you don't have that rule how do you make a decision to okay now it's worthwhile using an external yeah. library or the categories of things that you consider that for and others you don't so, uh, well, first I heard the word Moby. So uh, can I suggest that, that I address that afterwards? Um, yeah, we're going to open that topic up soon. Questions on, on Moby and the, on the, the channel. But to answer your question, um, well, first of all, I don't, make, I don't really make those rules anymore. You know, that we, we've delegated these, these decisions to a lot of the maintainers. Uh, but I think we've just followed common sense rules. If the standard library does it, use the standard library. If there's an external library that does it, check for uh, how up-to-date it is, how responsive the 
containers are, how many other people use it. And if it's if it feels okay, then then use that. Uh, and if none of the above is true, then write your own, but be careful to not waste too much time, right? So, and, and if it turns out that a lot of other people needed that and they end up using your implementation, then uh, as soon as possible, spin that out into a separate, you know, independent uh, library so that it's not too tied into your, your project. So I think that's, that's what we followed, but I think everything I just said applies to any good software project. I don't think we've done anything out of the ordinary. That sounds sensible, yes. So here we are today. We are four years-ish later. Docker is cool. Everybody's using it. Um, we're in a, a whole new world where Docker is basically the Xerox of containers. Like you, You've owned the name. <laughs> like If you talk about containers, you essentially say like Docker, that. right? I mean, that's, that's the case we're in. And it seems like that's where we're at with with even naming things. And Solomon, you mentioned the GoTime FM chat room. So if you're listening to this after, not live, we do the show live on Thursdays. You can hang out with us in the GoTime FM uh, channel in Go for Slack. I encourage you to do that. But if you're not, don't worry about it. Uh, but inside the chat, we're talking about sort of this transition of Docker to the new name Moby. News came out, I guess, it's been about three weeks, I think, maybe a month. I've kind of been in my own life for a bit now, so I'm not really sure on the timeline, but we've transitioned to this, this new piece here, and you've changed a lot about this brand name, this really well-known brand name of containers slash Docker, and uh, how dare you? Why? What, what, why did this happen? <laughs> I think that's what everybody yeah. said, in my opinion. It was like, why did you do this? And did you all have the same opinion internally? Yeah. So it's definitely, it's a big change and it's a change that, that I think will, like any big change, it will take a while to, for the dust to settle. And it, so it's a change that's really, uh, in, it's incremental. It's an ongoing change. It's just that at some point you need to kick it off. And uh, DockerCon uh, last month is when we did kick it off. Okay. But, so it was about a month ago then. Yeah, that's, that's yes, um, exactly. And uh, so there's been a lot of, work and gradual changes before that moment. And there is going to be a lot of gradual changes and work afterwards. But I think for a lot of people, this announcement, of course, is when they first heard about it. The point is really, it's a fundamental shift. And it's, it's been, uh, we've been working on it for a long time. And I think, honestly, we could have managed uh, some tactical aspects of the announcement better. But first, I just want to address the term everybody. Because what's really interesting with Docker, we, we, it goes back to the initial topic we discussed, right? Who is in the Docker community? How large is it? And um, how homogenous is it, right? How, uh, how diverse is it? And the answer is, it's very, very large. And it's very, very diverse. And I think you can see that in the reaction and perception of that change. Um, Docker today is, on the one hand, it's a platform that developers use to develop their applications and then operators use to deploy and manage their applications, right? And we're seeing that in, you know, small projects, you know, hobbyists, small businesses, and now enterprises. So there's some very large organizations that uh, have developers using Docker all day long and operators using Docker all day long to run all sorts of applications, right? Um, and that's one thing that Docker is. That's one aspect of the Docker community. And then there's another aspect, which is an open source project where specialized, passionate hackers 
are working together on the code that leverages all this technology to do container things, right? Uh, container runtime, container networking, container storage, et cetera, et cetera. You got this whole um, open source community of system hackers. Uh, that community is much smaller. It's also much more specialized, right? It's for us, it's about one to a thousand. So the key thing to realize is the switch to Mobi affects that second group, the open source contributor community in a positive way. That's the goal, right? The goal is to improve things for the open source community. Um, it does not affect our user community at all or our customers. Or if it does, it's indirectly. Uh, meaning that if you zoom out from this community that we're in right now, right? Anyone who's gone to github.com slash docker slash docker is in that group, the smaller group, the more specialized and better informed group that is interested in how things work on the inside, right? That's actually participating and creating it. But as far as everyone else using Docker is concerned, nothing's changed. Docker is Docker. It's still being updated in the same way. It's got the same features. It's got the same interfaces. It's got the same free version and paid version, right? Uh, so that's, that's just the, to set the context. It's an important dimension to keep in mind. So I guess that's one of those um, perception things and, and a little bit of confusion is, yeah, I think a lot of people thought like, oh, it's, it's, it's a Mobi container now, and now I run the Mobi command. And, and yeah. what, you're, what you're basically saying is, if you're not touching the code of Docker, you would never know. If you're a Node.js developer and you're just deploying apps in Docker, you're still using Docker and you're still going to docker.com and, and getting the RPMs or, or whatever to install it. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, part of the reason for that confusion is that we did not explain that well enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, it seemed, and, and uh, if you don't mind me saying, it seemed like it was delivered. I wouldn't say prematurely, but it just seemed like you didn't pay enough attention to the impact, maybe. I don't know. It seemed a little bit just sort of thrown out there. Do you feel that's how it was executed or do you feel like it didn't wouldn't handle with enough care? Well, and I don't mean that negatively. I just mean like no, it just no, seemed I, like you didn't think of it was like it was that big of a deal. I don't know. It seemed. I think you're when you're you're too close to the problem, you don't necessarily right. see the way people on the outside see things. So working on the project, they're like, "Oh, makes total sense, right?" Like we work on Moby. Yeah. It's basically an upstream to Docker. People use Docker. All is good, but which is why I opened it up with the whole Docker compared to Xerox, because in my opinion, and I think in a lot of developers' opinion. When you think of containers, you think of Docker. And so when you mess with a brand name of containers or this movement, so to speak, you, you know, you were sort of like fudging the name you applied to containers and that would upset a lot of people. Yeah. So I, 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 I think it's a totally fair question. I think definitely a lot of care has gone into the whole thing. I mean, a lot of us have been working on this change for a year and a half. Right. It doesn't seem like you was just do this blindly considering what you've shared with us, which is why we kind of began with the nostalgia, which is like you put a lot of care into moving to yeah. Docker in the first place. So clearly you would take the same amount of care when transitioning to Moby. We did. But I think we made we made a few tactical mistakes along the way, you know, that it could have been smoother. But one mm -hmm. of the, and, and really, I, I mean, I could go into the whole backstory, but um, I think we, we we made a few miscalculations. But I mean, the big picture is. Um, it's day one, and what matters is uh, how many contributions will continue to flow, and how healthy will the project be going forward, and how healthy will be will the the Docker product be going forward? How many people will use it? How happy will there be? Will they be, etc. I think honestly, 
we're going to look back in six months and, and think of it as a, a blip in the radar. Uh, it really, what matters is the next six months of how well we execute. Um, I've done a lot of launches. No launches go well. No. Uh, there's always something that goes wrong. So here, I think what went wrong, just to pick a few details, uh, a few examples, we optimized the hell out of um, the communication to two different groups at the opposites of the spectrum. We invested a lot in talking to the maintainers of the project. That's very small group, you know, a dozen, 20, I forget the exact number, but it's, it's less than 50 that are actually, that have commit rights on the project or on one of the components of the project. So um, I started an email thread with them about uh, two months before the announcement, talking about um, the tension between Docker as a product, as an open source product, and Docker as an open source project. The fact that the communities around these two, the product and the project are different, they have different expectations, they have different needs, and we're reaching a scale where it's becoming a problem to have those two things mixed. And, uh, you know, what do you think of what Red Hat's did with the split between Fedora and Red Hat Enterprise Linux? You know, so there was a whole thread that, that went on for two months. And so we, f we invested a lot in that. And on the other end, we invested in um, making sure it would not disrupt our users and our customers, right? Anyone using Docker, uh, we wanted to make sure they would not be affected. Uh, and, and also, they would ex and how would they understand the change to Mobi. So we spend a lot of time crafting a story that would be understandable for, you know, if, if, if the mainstream and it's, and I mean, our mainstream, right? Uh, you still have to be a, a developer uh, or someone who understands and cares about Docker, but you don't have to be an open, an open source contributor to, um, right. to the container engine, right? So, and we spend a lot of time thinking about the best way to explain it because it's a complex topic because really what we did with the switch to Mobi is we, we changed our production model, right? From the point of view of someone who's using Docker, we're saying, hey, we're making a change in how Docker is produced under the hood. And if you're interested, here's, here's a high-level explanation of what that means for you and why it's good. Right? And so that we optimized for, it, and that's the story we told uh, at the keynote at DockerCon, right? And I think it will be useful if you're interested in... in kind of digging into this to watch that keynote. I think we put it online and see it's the day one keynote and there's a bunch of drawings to explain. And so that's, that's, the, that's the other thing we focused on, explaining it well to our mainstream user community. So we did these two things, right? And then I think the mistake we made is that we, we underestimated the, this um, sort of a middle population, which is a lot of people that go on our GitHub repo that are involved in the open source project, but very superficially. They're not active committers, you know? So they're not kind of uh, stewards of the project, but they're not, um, you know, uh, application developers who never, never looked at the source code of Docker either. They're, they're kind of in the middle. And I think, honestly, for that middle community, we didn't really prepare an explanation. Uh, our plan was, let's announce our intention, Let's uh, move the repo in a new place, and then let's invite the community to come and help us uh, execute on the change together to be more open, uh, and let's see what happens. And I guess what happened is <laughs> was extreme confusion and anger yeah. at the change for a while. It, it felt like a, like a band-aid being ripped off. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But we were hoping for, um, uh, again, another point of context. Sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm trying. No, it's okay. Um, the, a lot of the criticism from um, the open source contributor community, a subset of it, 
it was that we started at some point uh, behaving more like a like a product. Docker started being more like a, a, a company-driven product than a community-driven project. So yeah. the, I talked about this this conflict, this overlap between Docker the project and Docker the product, the, the, the topic that we thoroughly discussed with the maintainers, but then forgot to discuss with, our, with everyone else. Um, the typical example of that when we, when we had the conversation is the announcement of Docker 1.12 when we rolled out built-in orchestration, right? And uh, that, that pissed off a lot of contributors for two reasons. One, we didn't warn them. We developed it in secret at Docker. And then we rolled it out, like a tip, which is a typical thing to do for a product, but it's not a typical thing to do for a project. So it really kind of shone a light on the discrepancies between a project and a product. And the other reason people were pissed off is um, we did not use Kubernetes for that feature. <laughs> and um, you know, there's a there's a subset of people who contribute to Docker who are who also contribute to Kubernetes and are big fans of that project and got really pissed off at us that we didn't use their project how dare we which by the way i think kubernetes is a great project uh we did consider using it but you know we decided against it and um you know it's just an engineering decision so my anyway my point is uh because we got so criticized for that for doing things behind closed doors and polishing it it completely before we released it we thought hey with Mobi, let's do the opposite let's just uh make the bare minimum cha viable change which was moving the repo from one org to the next and make no other changes and then explain the plan and then uh, do every change together with the community in the open. So that's what we did. But it caused the opposite backlash, which was, what is this? It's half-baked. It's not clear what's going on. Mm. So we, were, we thought we were being super nice by making things super open and involving everyone. But in fact, we, I think we confused the hell out of a lot of people. So anyway. That may be true. I mean, our... our uh Production shipment was broken for a few days uh, because of the name change. I think there's one question in the chat there, which is why were so many people whose imports were broken? I think it may have just been simply Docker slash Docker versus Moby slash Moby. One change, essentially, that may have broken a lot of things for people. And yeah. That well, abrupt Band-Aid rip is what I meant by that. Was Actually, it, 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 very few things were actually broken. The, the, I think we had a glitch in the redirects. But basically, anything that was broken was mildly broken and fixed within the day. Everything else was really confusion, uh, mostly at the fact that we, we moved the repository, Docker slash Docker, to Moby slash Moby. Yeah. And um, really, that made it look like we were renaming the Docker product to a Moby product. Hence the, the Docker Xerox comparison, because like, why yeah. change that? And, you know, on all honesty, Solomon, the reason why we wanted to have this conversation with you here on the show is like, was so that you can share the details of that. Cause I think hearing that now from you, like versus a blog post, which is black and white text, you can't right. really see a face or hear inflection or understand the genuineness from somebody. It's very hard to kind of get the real reason why someone or uh, an organization would make a choice like that. And hearing it from you now makes sense. You know, you, you're genuinely trying to do it in the open. You were trying to embrace the community. And that to me is so cool. And I'm thankful that, you have that feeling because it shares that you care and embrace the hacker community, which, you know, you're very much part of, of course. I mean, you know, you're not just Docker anymore. You're still the same old Solomon, but the, you know, I think it's cool that that's the approach you took it with it. And it's, it's just a shame that it backfired that way, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I think the backfiring, honestly, that, you know, on the, 
the, the kind of stuff we've dealt with over the last four years, this was a pretty mild backfire. <laughs> Uh, and, and so right now we're just focused on improving it and, and focused on the, the cool things that we can do now that there's Moby. The really cool thing about Moby, separately from the name change, the name split, right? So now there's a place for the open source project, projects, uh, plural, and then the, the open source product. The really exciting thing is it allows us to further uh, break up the platform into components. And that's, that's a really important aspect of it. Because Moby is, is not one um, code base. It's a collection of components. It's actually a, it's almost like a distro, really. It's, it's not actually the home for any of the components of Docker, right? Of which there are many. There's ContainerD, there's SwarmKit, there's LibNetwork, there's uh, Notary. There's a, there's a whole bunch of them. And each of them uh, were spinning out as independent projects. So if you like ContainerD, and ContainerD is the core container runtime that does all the this, in, and, but without carrying any of the the additional baggage, uh, the additional opinions of Docker as a platform. So it's just it runs Linux containers. It's a low-level API to do that, and it's becoming the de facto standard for doing that. So um, even if you don't use Docker as a whole, most likely if you're doing containers, you're going to use ContainerD. Uh, contain, that project we donated to an independent foundation. We donated to CNCF. So it's not part of Moby, but Moby integrates it into what we call assemblies, combinations of multiple components. Uh, and we're going to do the same thing for every single component. So in the end, you have these three phases, which I drew in this uh, little uh, pencil drawing that you pasted in the, the chat earlier. Yeah. You have three phases in the supply chain, right? All the way upstream, you have the individual components. And then that gets integrated into Moby. But the key is because it's integrated in a community project, different uh, participants in Moby can integrate these components in different ways. So it's a way, think of it as like a Lego club. You go to the Lego club, there's a giant box with all the pieces you could, you could dream of. And then everyone's hanging out on this big table and everyone's doing their own castle or toy or whatever. And if you want to join a group of kids and play with them, you can join the fun. But the point is that you can do your own also. Uh, there's no mandatory Lego construction that you have to join. So that's that's the aspect of Moby that I'm hoping we can emphasize more in the next few months, uh, as opposed to the name change. It's it's um, it's really cool in that way, yeah. or will be once we polish the tooling. Uh, there can be infinite variations of your container platform, and Docker is only one of them. So uh, Docker in this case is like I guess a professional. Lego artist that has you know a lot of people that just love our Lego creations, but we're going to come and hang out in the same club as everyone else, and we're going to build our Lego constructions on the same table and uh, collaborate with everyone else. And if someone likes it, they can come and join it like before, because it is open source. But yeah. if they only if they don't like it, but or they only like a part of it and they want to do something different, but with the same uh, Lego bricks, then they can do that. And we're providing. Uh, the, Moby in that metaphor is the club, right? It's the table. It's the it's the box with all the the, the bricks. That that's the goal of Moby, really. Maybe we can have you back on the change law to talk about that deeper part. So it's a shame we had to spend a lot of time here talking about the, just the name change because I feel like that's yeah. it has to be talked about. Uh, but we can't talk about the other thing, which is the next six months that you keep alluding to, without discussing or addressing the name change, which, as you'd mentioned, did confuse many many people. Yeah. And you have spent several years kind of defending 
Docker and this open container spec, and you've spent several years trying to do different things. And it seems like this transition, this move is out of a response of several years of, uh, of flack, so to speak, that you've, you've mentioned a couple of times you've taken over the years. Yeah, or, you know, let's call it constructive feedback. <laughs> okay, there you go, constructive feedback. <laughs> flack was my word. I don't, I don't think you directly said that, so I'm not putting words yeah. in your mouth. No, I think, um, yeah, it's been, you know, the, the thing to remember is when we started Docker, we had open source things at DotCloud, but never at this scale, right? And it was also, it was company open source. It was, there was no serious effort in trying to create a community uh, where everyone participating is equal. But Docker, from day one, that was the model. We firewalled it off. But, you know, we learned a lot along the way. We looked at what other projects did. We, we copied. We also tried things at scale that people told us we were a good idea. And then we broke it because at our scale, it was a bad idea. What people forget is there's very few projects that have ever operated at the scale of Docker. You know, um, there are projects. We're not the only one. We're not the largest. But we're definitely in the top 0.1%. And it just like just like systems uh, behave differently at large scale, and sometimes uh, the rules change. You know what seemed obvious at small scale suddenly starts breaking in mysterious ways at large scale. For projects, it's the same thing. So uh, part of this is you know we're we're we have to explain things to people who do open source and are very proud of the fact that they do open source and they're confident that they know open source and they do, but they don't know open source at our scale. You know, and and I now I I hear myself that sounds uh, <laughs> arrogant, but it's we have to deal with that too. Sometimes the reality is we know better, but that's not a popular thing to say. <laughs> so we we just try it, and then we try to be we try to be responsive. If anyone points out something that's broken, we're we're always listening, and then we're we're actively working on fixing it, uh, and internally. You know, we we have a culture as a team of always talking about the broken stuff, always talking about the problems. Uh, and I think maybe we we should do a better job at at showing that. But but we really do. The problem we have though is because we're such a big target. Every day we get a hundred points of feedback. Right, we get criticized over a hundred things, and and uh, we have to f- kind of go find uh, extract from that giant volume of criticism. What is the most important and uh, actionable stuff? And w- to get to that, we need to sort through people who had a bad day, people who uh, you know have a really niche use case, and it's really only a problem for them. People who are talking about opinions versus facts, you know, and it takes time and it's just difficult. And we're always scared: Are we missing an important piece of feedback drowned in the noise? And by the way, if you know tools. <laughs> That uh, or techniques that that help do that, we're always on the lookout for that. So I know we only have a couple minutes left in the show. Um, one thing I'm curious about is like it, here we are now with Moby and the split, and you talked a little bit about kind of alluded to like the next six months. Like, what's your vision for for Docker over the next one year, five years? Like, if you had nothing but free time to hack on on Docker yourself, you know, what would drive you? What, what kind of features would you like to see? Excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you stumped him. You're sorry. I was uh, I was I was daydreaming about me hacking all day. <laughs> <laughs> like, good one, Solomon. Uh, I, I well, you know the the right now we've got two groups of users that are you know really excited about Docker and just pulling for more stuff. Uh, there's developers and there's operators, and uh, operators I think just have this massive problem that they need 
they did a new kind of an operating system because it's not individual servers anymore that they're administrating. It's, as we know, large clusters of them, uh, multiple clusters of them. Uh, and a machine could go away and come back somewhere else at any time. And it's just really complex uh, infrastructure, and it's fast-moving, and it's large, and the tools and operating systems have just not kept up, right? Uh, so you've got large technology companies that have built their own custom operating system for, you know, distributed operating system, but everyone else is left kind of cobbling together tools and components and, and adding generous uh, duct tape around it to kind of create that, that a sort of an operating system to run their stuff. And, you know, we, we want to build that. And one thing we've learned is we've tried to build that with dot cloud. The operating system would build, that would run all your things on a, on a distributed system. Uh, what we've learned is you can't build that in a monolithic way. You have to build it in a, in a modular way. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're either building the missing pieces or uh, partnering with, with others that are building the, the missing pieces. And then we're learning how to tie that all together in a system that makes sense and that you can operate reliably in that scale. And, you know, I'll be honest, we have a lot of work left to do. So that's one thing I want to hack on that we're actively hacking on. And the other one is development. There's a lot of people out there that have a lot of cool ideas and they want to use code. They want to build something with code and it's still too hard. You know, honestly, I feel like we've regressed since the times of, of basic or Excel formulas, right? Those were incredible uh, leaps forward in terms of making programming usable by more people to solve more problems. Or SQL. SQL is pretty cool, but you still have to plug it into other things, right? But actually, I think you're right. You can express something, right? Interaction with data. I, well, it, actually, you know SQL goes in that list for sure. Yeah. Before then, you had to write your own storage layers and how you were going to yeah. retrieve and do this stuff. And that really made yeah. it more approachable, you know, <laughs> at a much higher level of abstraction. Yeah. So for us, you know, we've, we, because Docker now is this really, this kind of beacon for a lot of developers who just, they want to, they have a, they want to build something and they just have all these problems and they need tools to solve these problems. So they come to us and they tell us, Hey, I would like to do this. Can you help me? And honestly, still today with all the tools that we develop, 90% of the time, our answer is no, we can't really help you. There's no tool for that, but you know, it makes us want to build them. So I just want to make things easier for developers. I honestly, I think we're, we're at the very beginning of that. And I don't mean just Docker. I mean, as a community of people who make tools for others, we've got a lot of work to do. I think we, we kind of, we got to raise the bar. We're not doing a good enough job. So I think we're basically right at the tail end. We might be a couple minutes over, but and there was a couple of questions and we'll see how many we have time for. Uh, one of them was somebody, I think it was Mar Marwin, if I recall, um, in the GoTime channel had asked, um, that he had read about a change from the REST API to gRPC um, and kind of what the, the reasoning and details of, of that are. Oh, yeah. So that's part of the exciting part of Mobi that we're, we now have with the Mobi project a nice framework to uh, split up the Docker platform into distinct components uh, that each are more specialized, if, like ContainerD, ContainerD being the best example of that. And each of these components is almost, it's like a little microservice, right? In a way, we're saying if every application is uh, going towards a microservice model, why should the platform itself running these applications also not adopt a microservice model? It seems like the right thing to do. And it, once upon a time, we tried, to, we, we tried to write our own RPC layer for that. We had a project early on at .cloud called ZeroRPC, uh, 
Uh, and then we did a lot of experiments with extending that with HTTP2 and Speedy uh, before HTTP2 existed. So I've always been a big fan of finding the right RPC layer. Uh, and you know, we but we never we never had time to really push that project forward. Uh, and gRPC came along and it's getting a lot of traction. And I'm seeing a lot of engineers at Docker just use it. Container D is a gRPC interface. It's just popping up. So just it's a pragmatic choice of just picking uh, an RPC layer for the low-level low level interfaces. The fact that you can generate all the clients and SDKs, et cetera, is really nice. The, the existing Docker API is a higher-level API, and it's currently uh, uh, an HTTP REST API. I, I, right now, we're, we're working out what's the roadmap for that API. The absolute priority is to not break existing users. So there will continue to be an HTTP REST API just because our current users and ecosystem use it, and we don't want to break them. So it's more of a going forward for all new APIs. We're, we're starting with gRPC by default because that's what people are using in our particular community. But it's, yeah, that's it. If you're interested in discussing any of this, by the way, um, you should join the uh, Mobi forums, forums.mobiproject.org. That's another good question, too, is like any closing thoughts? We're, we're near the end, but that's a great, plug there like if you have a discussion you want to have that's a great place to go but anything else you want to share tell them before we tell out the show any closing thoughts any any words of wisdom back to the good community adopting docker slash moby contributing to docker yeah yeah i would say that the whole point of moby was to take the project or the collection of projects to the next level so if you're if you're interested in any way or if you were on the fence on contributing, uh, I think now is actually an excellent time to contribute because Mobi is a sign that we're, we're investing more in the open source side of things. We want more people to contribute and we want to help, uh, especially if you're an open source first timer. One thing we've seen is uh, even experienced programmers can really um, hesitate to make their first contribution to open source. It's a big leap of faith to take. Uh, it's unfamiliar. Sometimes you can you get the feeling that it's a kind of a club and you're you may not be welcome. Maybe there's private jokes that you don't get. Mm. Uh, and as we grow as a community, it's going to be something that we really have to keep in mind. And we made a lot of efforts early on in the beginning of Docker to make it a really cool place to st- to do your first open source contributions. And I, I would like Moby to, to to do that too. So if you're interested in any way, you know, show up and we'll we'll talk about that together. And I'd like to add one more note to that contribution too. Don't feel discouraged if your pull request goes a long period of time. Like there's so many pull requests on Docker that like it, it can take a month before, you know, it makes it through there. I, I've had my own sit, like waiting for stuff. It's just the project is so active. Yeah. And, and um, there's, if you go to the Docker documentation, there's a whole section on how to contribute. And we're going to continue to maintain that section. We also organize events where, you know, special Docker meetups where you can show up and there's mentoring and you can uh, pick, uh, we help you pick a contribution that's a right, the right level for your first contribution and then we help you uh, make that contribution. So these events could be a really good way to get started in open source in general. I'm really bummed we didn't actually talk about why Moby, why the name Moby, but we'll leave that for a different conversation. I just want to throw out there. Because naming is the hardest thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the name of the mascot. So about two years ago, we, we opened up a, a voting. We asked the community to pick a name for the mascot, for the whale. And the community picked Moby Doc. 
And uh, so now that the two years later, we were creating a project. We want it to be, uh, we want the, the connection to Docker to be clear, but we also want it to have its own identity separate from Docker. And uh, we looked at what Red Hat did with Fedora. You know, it's the hat. It's kind of a, you know, a reference. And we did the same thing. And if you look at the logo, it's the tail of the whale, right? And so that's, nice. that's it, really. Easy said. Nice. So I think we are uh, over time here, but it's been so great to have you on the show, Solomon. I'm, I'm really uh, excited that you got a chance to pop on and talk to us about Docker. It was my pleasure. Th- thank you for having me. I love talking about this stuff. And hopefully we can keep getting you on as, as uh, Docker continues to grow and take over the, the ops world and development world. I would love that. Anytime. And, and thanks everybody else for being on the show, Carlicia and Adam, for, for uh, popping out from behind the curtain to, uh, to chat with us. Anytime. A uh, huge shout out to our sponsor, TopTal, for sponsoring the show. Um, definitely share the show with fellow Go programmers. Um, you can find us on gotime.fm. You can subscribe to our weekly email there. Uh, we are at gotime.fm on Twitter. And if you want to be on the show, have questions for our guests, github.com slash gotime.fm slash ping. And with that, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week. Laters. This was great. Thanks, Solomon. Thank you. All right, that wraps up this episode of Go Time. Tune in live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time at the changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTimeFM. Special thanks to TopTal for sponsoring this show. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. This episode was edited by Jonathan Youngblood, and the theme music for GoTime is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.